0: happy to be back with you this week. We are beginning a new series this week. It's entitled The Little Catechism of the Act of Oblation by St. Therese of Lisieux of the Child Jesus and follows on, uh, I believe, quite well with the series we just completed on St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And, um, Leading us through the early part of this conversation uh, today will be my co-host and studio here, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you?
1: <laughs> Blessed, and I'm really looking forward to talking about this uh, wonderful act of oblation. And for those who have been listening to our series on um, Saint Teresa Margaret Reddy, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, you know that she too made an act of oblation, but she was in the 1700s, and here um, we're in the late. 1800s, when Therese, um, the little flower, um, when she is going to make an official act of oblation.
0: And uh, Teresa Margaret, of course, Frances, I know you would agree, was much more brief, much more succinct. She wanted it to be very uh, sort of direct uh, to our Lord, Um, whereas I, I think as we'll discover when you read us through it. Um, Therese's is is much more elaborate and covers a great deal more territory Um, and I think both have their merits But I think we'll discover in our conversation today. There are many benefits to the um, The longer version that st. Therese created uh, as an act of vocation But before we begin that uh, Why don't we begin as we do each week and put ourselves before the Lord in prayer and Francis if you would lead us in prayer
1: this prayer actually was written by St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, another Discast Carmelite saint, mystic. Her feast day is coming up on Sunday, August the 25th. And so I thought it was a beautiful prayer to the Holy Spirit, and I think this is a great way to start this conversation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, inspire me. Love of God. Consume me on the true path, lead me, Mary, my mother. Look upon me with Jesus, bless me from all evil, from all illusion, from all danger. Preserve me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, I want to begin our conversation, Francis, by stressing a point that we'll probably revisit throughout the course of our conversations on uh, St. Therese's act of oblation and state very emphatically that this is nothing other than an act of love. We hear the word act of oblation. Of course, the word oblation means an offering uh, sometimes associated with a sacrifice. It's almost always made to God. Uh, That's the formal sort of definition of the word oblation. Uh, But it can, uh, I guess, evoke in our minds, perhaps, a series of commitments or rules or things that someone might do. And uh, though there are elements of that in Therese's act of oblation, what we should stress and will stress is this is an act of love. It is an act of abandonment to our Lord Jesus Christ, expressing her complete and total sacrifice, offering of herself.
1: And we might also think of oblation in terms of the Mass, because we are offering Jesus to the Father. And so you need the one who is offering, the priest, or in the case of Therese or Teresa Margaret, you know, they are, um, you know, how we are priest, prophet, and king, even in our lay state. We have that connection. So in her priestly mode and in, in her state, um, she is offering. And then the altar would be Jesus. Um, And then the victim, she is going to be offering herself to um, the Father. And then um, you have to have something that burns up the the offering, right? Uh,
0: Consumes the offering. Yes, the
1: fire. And, and of course, I'm thinking Old Testament. You know, you can really think of oblation back then. Uh, But the Holy Spirit would would be a way of considering uh, this fire that is transformative.
0: And the fire that issues from the Holy Spirit, which is the fire of love, right? Absolutely. And that ever-increasing fire of love. You know, so often we think about uh, this phrase that Frances and I use uh, occasionally, she just used it, of transformation. Uh, Transformation into love. That's what each of us are called to. And as part of that, obviously we have to struggle. There's work on our part. But ultimately we know we can't do it for ourselves. What happens is that the fire of love, which is ignited, as Francis says, by the Holy Spirit, uh, eventually burns away from us, within us, everything that is inconsistent in our relationship with God. And it's a work that is done literally by the Holy Spirit. We're going to address some of the questions that perhaps have been raised even in our brief conversation here. Uh, But I want us to begin, if we can, and I'll ask Francis if you wouldn't mind, reading uh, this brief excerpt from... Uh, Therese's own biography where she talks about uh, her understanding of an act of love, she refers to it here, and how important it was to the centrality of her theology, what she understood was her role within the church.
1: And I'll just preface that with that St. Therese understands that her only gift, and the one that the Lord most desires of her, and of us, was the gift of herself, and It must be an act of total abandonment to love. And here's what Therese was was stating. I knew that the church had a heart and that such a heart appeared to be aflame with love. I knew that one love drove the members of the church to action, that if this love were extinguished, the apostles would have proclaimed the gospel no longer. The martyrs would have shed their blood no more. I saw and realized that love sets off the bounds of all vocations, that love is everything, that this same love embraces every time and every place. In one word, that love is everlasting. Then, nearly ecstatic with the supreme joy of my soul, I proclaimed, O oh Jesus, my love, at last I have found my calling. My call is love. Certainly I have found my place in the church, and you gave me that very place, my God. In the heart of the church, my mother, I will be loved, and thus I will be all things as my desire finds its direction.
0: Well, of course, as Francis alluded to, this calling of St. Therese is the very same calling that each and every baptized soul has. It's a simple reality that we all respond to this call with varying degrees of fidelity and commitment. One of the reasons for this is that we labor under sometimes the mistaken impression that love is a situation exclusively where we receive something. Not only do we receive the blessings of knowing that we are loved, but we also receive the joy that we might experience of knowing that we are the object of someone else's love. Yes, it's true, as Scripture says, 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. But that's only half the equation. If we're to become the persons God created us to be and is calling us to be for all eternity, then we have a response to that love. The point is we so often forget is that true love always requires some measure of sacrifice. It's a measure of offering of ourselves for a price. We should not therefore see love solely as a process that we experience good feelings or consolations because we know we are loving another person But rather, we should understand, as St. Therese did, and, and so many other saints who came before her, that love requires, we ultimately offer our very selves to the Beloved. Not just our love, but our very selves, without holding anything back.
1: Well, and furthermore, we have an additional misunderstanding about the process of suffering. That's a mystery that I'm still trying to ponder, right? But we're learning, right? Um, For many, this reality of suffering in love is somehow linked to punishment or removal of things in the relationship that are not pure. And it is true that God does seek to purify our love and remove any impediments to the purity of our love. But this should never be perceived as punishment or anything negative. It is in the very process of suffering that our love grows to its full stature.
0: The occasional trials that we experience in our life as we seek to love the Lord and our brothers and sisters more purely uh, are designed uh, not so much to remove something as they are intended to grow the seeds of love that we mention are planted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is in this that whatever trials we may endure... Do not discourage us, but indeed they should bring us a greater hope and a greater desire to love even more.
1: And so we have from Scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us.
0: Now, uh, Just as we begin on the act of oblation, I think it's important that we set this in context. And Francis, I'm going to ask you to give us a little bit of the history, but let's begin with this. Uh, His Holiness, Pope Pius XI, on actually the first page of the text that we'll be working with, which is simply titled, The Little Catechism of the Act of Oblation of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. In the first uh, page in the opening cover, uh, there is a, a quote, from Pope Pius XI, um, that was read actually at the canonization mass of St. Therese of the child Jesus. And it emphasizes the importance of this idea uh, of the act of oblation and and her act of love as we expressed it.
1: So this is what he said in his homily. We make our own this prayer of St. Therese. We beseech you, O Jesus to let your divine gaze rest upon a vast number of childlike souls, and to choose in this world a legion of little victims worthy of your love.
0: Yeah, now, um, there are a few other introductory, I guess, uh, points we should raise, Francis, and I'm going to ask you again, and then I'll read the next quote that uh, was provided by St. John of the Cross. But St. Therese herself um, talks about the days after she began this act of oblation, and I would encourage our listeners to think about what Francis will read for us here as perhaps an, an encouragement to uh, take up the act of oblation, to find a copy of Therese's act of oblation, and maybe uh, begin it yourself, begin praying it yourself, or at least get the, the, uh, the spirit of her act of oblation, perhaps write your own so that... Um, you can perhaps experience what it is that Therese herself is going to express to us that began to happen only days after, she says, of beginning this prayer of the act of Oblation. Francis. And,
1: and so we will get to how this all was laid out before she makes the act, but, but it's nice to know the end result because it encourages us, right to go to go through. Um, she says, and this is Therese speaking here. A few days after my oblation to God's merciful love, I had commenced in the choir the way of the cross when I felt myself suddenly wounded by a dart of fire so ardent that I thought I should die. I know not how to describe that transport. There is no comparison which would make the vehemence of that flame understood. It seemed as though an invisible force plunged me wholly into fire, that fire, what sweetness, one minute, one second more, and my soul must have been set free.
0: By which she means she would have been drawn up into glory. (laughs) Die die of love
1: on the spot right there. What
0: an amazing experience. And uh, we did preface our uh, comments this evening by pointing out that uh, St. Therese, like St. Teresa Margaret before her, was a daughter of St. John of the Cross. It was The writings of St. John of the Cross, in fact, that St. Therese asked for in her last days and hours. It was the only thing she could read, the only thing she found consolation in. Here are some words that she may have been very familiar with from St. John of the Cross's The Living Flame of Love. He writes, Few are the souls to receive this divine wound, those chiefly whose spirit and power is to be transmitted to their spiritual children. God bestows on the founders such gifts and graces as shall be proportionate to the succession of the order as the first fruits of the Spirit. Let me explain. The children, the spiritual children that John refers to, would be those of us who follow what it is that Therese has imparted to the Church. We don't have to be members of Carmel, though that's certainly uh, an option available to us, nor do we have to be members uh, of any particular order. But as uh, people devoted to this pursuit of loving the Lord and finding in the words of Therese consolation and guidance and direction, we become in part her spiritual children. And that's exactly what St. John of the Cross is referring to, that the intensity of her experience is manifested through those of us who follow uh, her example and her witness uh, to this act of oblation to merciful love.
1: Now, if we think of the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila, this wound of love is brought forth in the sixth mansion. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen in the seventh mansion. I'm just saying that that's when it's introduced in the interior castle. So if you want to read about this divine wound or what Teresa would have called the wound of love, um, you can uh, look it up in the interior castle. Now, I, I, if my I, memory serves me correct, when this happened to Therese, when she received this divine wound, she had been in the church and um you know they were doing the way of the cross and she saw a little prayer card fall out a holy card fall out of a book and the part that she saw was an image of uh, the crucified jesus of of blood uh, falling from his hand and she was thinking about there was no one to catch this blood and so uh you know it all just manifested then in this wound of love, So, uh, if I remember correctly. So there you go.
0: Well, uh, Francis, you had uh, suggested it would be good to lay a little bit of the groundwork that leads up to this. And I think some of the history is important before we actually begin the act of oblation, and then we'll go through the text of the Little Catechism, which is nothing other than a series of questions about the importance of the act, the elements of it, uh, the benefits of it, and so forth. We'll, we'll spend, I suspect, at least a couple of weeks going through that. But let's lay the groundwork as to the history of uh, how this came about.
1: And one note uh, on that resource that we're referring to, the Little Catechism of the Act of Oblation of St. Teresa the Child Jesus. You can find it online. Just search under that title. Um, we don't have an author, but we do have a publisher, uh, sophiainstitute.com, Sophia Institute us. Um, so you can find this if you want to order it. I think it's only about three or four bucks. And um, so if you want to look at it at length and ponder it, uh, there you have it. And uh, so you may find that online as well. All right, so let we're going to back up. So when this happens, um, it was, I believe, June of, of uh, 1895, I believe was the date that that she made this oblation June 9th, which was Holy Trinity Sunday. So I wanna lay the groundwork though. In September of 1890, Therese makes her profession and she's already using language about consoling the heart of Jesus. And I think this is interesting because um, in the apparition of Fatima, which has been approved, the language of consoling the heart of Jesus and the macular heart of Mary is used a lot. So um, I think it's interesting that Therese is using this, and this is eight, five years before she makes her um, act of oblation. And she says um, in her letters and her poems and plays, she, she says language like this, I want only to give you, Jesus, joy and to console you. Now, four years later, October of 1894, she formulates her little way, um, which she's famous for, the, the little way of spiritual childhood, right? And um, it's only her littleness that is going to draw God's mercy toward her. So so this is foundational. Now, another thing that's happening in 1894 and 1895 is that... Um, in the french carmel so all the carmels in france there were over a hundred carmelite nuns that died and when a carmelite nun would die they would send a circular telling them the other carmels about their life and their death and so you know her Carmel in the would have received a hundred of these and um she saw that um many of these nuns through the circulars were offering themselves as victims of divine justice. Um, And that was hugely popular in those days. And there was one nun in particular on the day before Therese makes this act of oblation. There was a nun, Sister Marie of Jesus of the Carmelite of Lufon. I don't know if I pronounced that right, L-U-C-O-N. she had died and her circular arrived in the um, on june 8th of 1895 and in this circular they read about sister marie offering herself as a victim to divine justice and about her death agony on the good friday proceeding and and some of the quotes from that circular were the nun saying, I bear the rigors of divine justice. I do not have enough merits. I must acquire them. Okay, so, so Therese is thinking about all of this, right? And then we have Holy Trinity Sunday on the next day, June 9th, when she makes her act of oblation. But there's one other thing that happens um, in 1894 um, in July. Um, so this would have been a year prior to her act of oblation. That was her father's death, Louis. And so these all are kind of piling up and, and creating, uh, you know, a stimulating her in, in many different ways. And I think when she's at mass, they can't say if it was in the choir the hour before mass or during the actual mass, um, they've been saying both. So we don't know whether, uh, which one it was that it happened in, but they keep referring back to the mass on Holy Trinity Sunday, where Therese makes uh, has this conversation with the Lord, actually. Shall um, I read that part to us? Sure, um, yes. Yeah, the, this is what's happening before she makes her formal act of oblation, because this is her informal one, uh, where she offers herself, but this is the word she used. Um, she said, um he's, Trouble because she's like, oh, I, you know, I I'm too little to do this justice thing. I don't I don't want to suffer like that <laughs> you know. and she's like um, God's justice is clothed in God's merciful love and so She cries out from her heart. She says from the depths of my heart. I cried out. Oh my god Will your justice alone find souls willing to emulate themselves as victims Does not your merciful love need them too? On every side, this love is unknown, rejected. Those hearts upon whom you would lavish it turn to creatures, seeking happiness from them with their miserable affection. They do this instead of throwing themselves into your arms and of accepting your infinite love. Oh my God, is your disdained love going to remain closed up within your heart? It seems to me that if you were to find souls offering themselves as victims of holocaust to your love, you would consume them rapidly. It seems to me, too, that you would be happy not to hold back the waves of infinite tenderness within you. If your justice loves to release itself, this justice which extends only over the earth, how much more does your merciful love desire to set souls on fire? since your mercy reaches to the heavens. Oh my Jesus, let me be this happy victim. Consume your holocaust with the fire of your divine love. Now, when she comes out of this mess, her sister Genevieve saying, you know, she confided to me what she'd just done. She made this act, uh, offering to be a holocaust um, to the fire of his divine love. Okay, and so... um, then she's going to invite her sister Celine, which is sister Genevieve. She's going to invite her to make this oblation with her. And because um, she needs to know what to say, Therese then writes it all down.
0: Formally, right. And we've introduced uh, a lot of terminology, victim, holocaust, justice. Trust me, we will go through all of those terms. They're in the little catechism because they can <laughs> uh, sort of cause us some concern. Uh, as no doubt, uh, some of the early uh, circulars that were uh, distributed to Lazoo may have caused concerns on the part of the nuns. But um, Francis has given us a good background that led to the mindset of Therese at that time, and then we'll cover each of those terms so that they aren't off putting or in any way confusing as it regards the formal act of oblation. We'll pick up that very conversation when we return from our break. A reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
1: Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. And back with the show Carmelite
0: Conversations with Mark and Francis. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're picking up on our discussion, our conversation, of the Little Catechism of the Act of Oblation, of St. Therese of the Child Jesus, St. Therese of Lisieux, as you all know her. And Francis has just given us sort of the backdrop to what led Therese, over the course of about five years, uh, to preparation for a formal act of oblation, and um, uh, the central theme of which, of course, is um, her recognition uh, that what the Lord really calls uh, each of us to offer is ourselves. In totality, everything that we are, in total love. And Therese, uh, as young as she was, even at this point, uh, recognized and understood that she, as she expressed in that sketch that Francis read from her biography, her mission in the church is the same mission we all have. It is to become love. It is to be transformed into total love. And so her act of oblation now, which Francis is going to read for us, somewhat lengthy, but All of it is meaningful, and we strongly encourage you to try to get a copy of it and read it for yourselves. Uh, But it expresses all of what was in Therese's heart with regard to her own desire to give herself over completely to the Lord. And what you'll see in this, as we go through both this reading and the questions later, is this deep understanding she has that she cannot perfect herself. No effort on her part will ever lead her to the transformation and love that God has called us to. It is at this point that she gives herself over, abandons herself, if you will, uh, to merciful love, which is God's love, um, and thereby uh, moving beyond the justice uh, that we would otherwise find in God if we don't turn ourselves over to his mercy.
1: Now, this is a very important prayer, and it's referred to as, officially, Act of Oblation to Merciful Love. But when Therese wrote it, she just put the title as Offering of Myself as a Victim of Holocaust to God's Merciful Love. But she realized that God was gonna be calling other souls to also make this same Act of Oblation to Merciful Love. And uh, so she did write it up formally and then she had a priest go over it to check and make sure everything was good and uh, made any adjustments. I think there was one minor thing that she had to change, and then um, when she asked Marie, her other sister, um, her blood sister, um, if she wanted to make this offering, Marie said, "Well, you got to put some stuff in there about the Sacred Heart of Jesus in <laughs> there." So there, there are some different translations of this prayer, and there are some different versions of the translations because. Um, Marie insisted uh, some phrases be added because of her personal devotion to the Sacred Heart. So um, I'm going to read the one um, translation that is found in the ICS edition um, in the book called The Prayers of St. Therese of Lisieux, but it's also the one that is found in the Story of a Soul um, that is the ICS edition, which um, I like to use. I think it being from the Carmelite Friars, uh, it is probably the most authentic, um, in my opinion. So here we go. This is uh, Therese and the official act. Oh my God, most blessed Trinity, I desire to love you and make you loved, to work for the glory of Holy Church by saving souls on earth and liberating those suffering in purgatory. I desire to accomplish your will perfectly, and to reach the degree of glory you have prepared for me in your kingdom. I desire, in a word, to be a saint, but I feel my helplessness. And I beg you, O my God, to be yourself my sanctity. Since you have loved me so much as to give me your only son, as my savior and my spouse, the infinite treasures of his merits are mine. I offer them to you with gladness, begging you to look on me only through the face of Jesus and in his heart, burning with love. I offer you, too, all the merits of the saints in heaven and on earth, their acts of love and those of the holy angels. Finally, I offer you, O Blessed Trinity, the love and merits of the Blessed Virgin, my dear Mother. It is to her I abandon my offering, begging her to present it to you. Her divine son, my beloved spouse, told us in the days of his mortal life. Whatsoever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. I am certain then that you will grant my desires. I know, O my God, that the more you want to give, the more you make us desire. I feel in my heart immense desires, and it is with confidence I ask you to come and take possession of my soul. Ah, I cannot receive Holy Communion as often as I desire, but Lord, are you not all-powerful? Remain in me as in a tabernacle, and never separate yourself from your little host. I want to console you for the ingratitude of the wicked and I beg of you to take away my freedom to displease you. If through weakness I sometimes fall, may your divine glance cleanse my soul immediately, consuming all my imperfections, like the fire that transforms everything into itself. I thank you, O my God, for all the graces you have granted me, especially the grace of making me pass through the crucible of suffering. It is with joy I shall contemplate you on the last day, carrying the scepter of your cross. Since you deign to give me a share in this very precious cross, I hope in heaven to resemble you and to see shining in my glorified body the sacred stigmata of your passion. After earth's exile, I hope to go and enjoy you in the Fatherland, But I do not want to lay up merits for heaven. I want to work for your love alone with the one purpose of pleasing you, consoling your sacred heart and saving souls who will love you eternally. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands. For I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice, and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne, no other crown, but you, my beloved. Time is nothing in your eyes, and a single day is like a thousand years. You can then, in one instant, prepare me to appear before you. In order to live in one single act of perfect love, I offer myself as a victim of Holocaust to your merciful love, asking you to consume me incessantly, allowing the waves of infinite tenderness shut up within you to overflow into my soul, and that thus I may become a martyr of your love, O oh my God. May this martyrdom, after having prepared me to appear before you, finally cause me to die. And may my soul take its flight without any delay into the eternal embrace of your merciful love. I want, O my beloved, at each beat of my heart to renew this offering to you an infinite number of times. Until those shadows having disappeared, I may be able to tell you of my love in an eternal face to face. Marie-Francois Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, unworthy Carmelite religious, on the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity, the ninth day of June in the year of grace, 1895.
0: Well, So now what we'd like to do, and I appreciate that's a lengthy um, prayer, an act of oblation uh, to merciful love. What we'd like to do is go through a series of uh, questions and uh Uh, no doubt, some of which have been raised in the minds of our listeners, Uh, but others perhaps will be uh, new to you that uh, you hadn't thought of. There's an awful lot in that uh, prayer, obviously, a great uh, many um, areas that Therese wanted to cover. And so we want to make sure to sort of uh, address the language, uh, I think, first, Francis, and also what's the central theme behind it? In fact, that's our first question. What's the objective of this act of oblation? I think Therese makes it very clear in the very first sentence uh, that she writes in the act and uh, then follows it on with a couple others. Just remind us, Francis, that very first sentence, what did she say?
1: Oh my God, most blessed Trinity, I desire to love you and make you loved.
0: That's the centerpiece of this entire act. We said it and we said we would reiterate it again and again.
1: And then two other points.
0: Yeah, the two other points are the secondary and and tertiary, the third point that she wants to raise, and that is?
1: To work for the glory of Holy Church by saving souls on earth and liberating those suffering in purgatory.
0: Which she wants to do as a measure of her love for the Lord. Those are the outgrowths, those are the the efforts, if you will, on her behalf to demonstrate her love for the Lord. That's the object, that's the central theme of this entire act of oblation. And in fact, she even says at one point in the in the prayer, um, she's not doing this to gain merit. She's not doing it to sort of increase the size of her castle in uh, her mansion in heaven, right, Francis? She's doing it exclusively as an act of love. Again, this is what we mean when we say purification of our love. So much of our activity and our effort on behalf of uh, uh, our Lord. And even Therese says this, and it's not meant to be a a condemnation. She's just acknowledging truth. They're tainted with our own motivations, with our own desires, with our own um, desire. Oftentimes, we want to know that we are loving. It fulfills us. And so this act of oblation, this offering, this sacrifice, has to be purified of all that. And she's covering all that territory in here by first saying, this is an act of love an outgrowth of it will be the church and the souls in purgatory. And I do it without any desire to increase my own merit in heaven. I do it strictly as an act of love. That's the objective of this.
1: And just as when souls would offer themselves as a victim to divine justice, what they were doing is making up for the lack of, of suffering or reparation that other souls needed to do and didn't do. So they were going to take the suffering on to complete what was needed for these other souls to satisfy divine justice. Now here, Therese is completing what is lacking in the love that others have in right. in because they have rejected God's love. So she's going to be an open vessel receiving God's love on behalf of those who have rejected His love.
0: Exactly Isn't right. that
1: amazing?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so... Um, how might we take this as a compensation to God uh, by offering our hearts so that He may let the flood tide of His infinite tenderness flow over them? What's well, really in what Francis just said. Therese is opening herself as the portal, as the recipient of this merciful love that God so desires to pour out. Didn't we hear in Scripture even this week, uh, Christ says... Uh, Uh, I I desire to cast fire on on, on the earth. I come to bring fire, and I'm I'm so pent up until I can release that fire. I'm combining translations, obviously. But um, that's the the emphasis of it, is that Christ is this burning flame, and he so wants to dispense that flame, that love, throughout the world. But he finds few vessels ready to receive it. Therese is raising her hand in this act of oblation and saying, I am an open vessel. I am prepared to receive your merciful love. And I want then, uh, as secondary and tertiary um, consequences, to distribute it to the church for the salvation of souls and to those already suffering in purgatory.
1: And since, as Mark said, she wanted to do um, this to love God and to make him love, the, the other aim is to give him pleasure to console his sacred hearts and then to save souls that will love him forever. So it wasn't it wasn't to save souls for their benefit, right? It was for God's benefit yeah. that he would have more love. So it's it's less for the personal happiness of these souls than to procure more love for God. And that is an amazing thing to think about. Well,
0: it is. It's something worth our contemplating and this is the revelation for so many of us as we begin the spiritual journey, and so often we begin it with admirable uh, ambitions to uh, make ourselves holy, to purify ourselves. But more often than not, St. John of the Cross even tells us, we do it for our own benefit. We, we're tired of suffering, we're tired of you know uh, uh, dealing with our sins, and so we want to purify ourselves mainly for our own benefit. God accepts that, but he draws us closer and closer to what his mission is. And as Francis has said so well here, at some point we do reach that desire uh, to want to participate in the uh, uh, redemptive work of Christ by saving souls. But it isn't just to save souls. It is so that we can offer those souls back to Christ because he's the focus of everything that we do. He is really the one uh, who we are expressing that love to by virtue of our desire to bring souls to him what's the origin of this act? Well, we really kind of touched on that when we read the biographical sketch, but I think it's worth, Francis again, reading this section that's offered in the pamphlet um, regarding uh, a little bit of the uh, additional detail on the history, if you wouldn't mind reading that to us.
1: Well, so thinking one day of those who offer themselves as victims to the justice of God in order to turn aside the punishment reserved for sinners by taking it upon themselves— I felt this offering to be noble and generous, but I was far from feeling drawn myself to make it. And then she goes on to what I had uh, read early, earlier about, oh, my divine master, shall your justice alone receive victims of Holocaust? Has not your merciful love also need of them? Um, should I go on? Yeah, Cause, yeah. I mean, Okay, because I, I read this earlier, but it's good to put it in yeah. this context so we have an idea. She says, on all sides... Your love is ignored and rejected. The hearts on which you would pour it out turn to creatures seeking happiness and miserable and fleeting affections, instead of casting themselves into your arms into the ineffable furnace of your infinite love. Now this is a different translation than the one I read earlier. She goes on, oh my God, must your love remain disdained within your heart? It seems to me that if you should find souls offering themselves as victims of Holocaust to your love, you would quickly consume them that you would be glad not to repress the flames of infinite tenderness pent up within you.
0: And you see the difference then in the way Therese is expressing this. For so many of us, we come to this and we think, yes, I want to love God. I want to take the initiative. I want to ex- you know, express to Him and, and show to Him how much I love Him. What she has brilliantly understood is that it is not about our showing our love because we are, uh, in so many ways tainted and wounded and damaged by the circumstances of life. We're just simply incapable of doing what it is we might desire to do. What Therese has understood is, it's the receipt of God's love. It is allowing God to pour His love into our hearts. That is what then transforms us and turns us into uh, the people that God has desired that uh, that we would become. Transforms us into love itself by allowing Him to uh, pour out His love into our hearts. In fact, Scripture says, the Holy Spirit pours the love out into our hearts. That's what leads to this transformation,
1: and then so that leads into mercy. Exactly, because um, if you're seeing yourself as you really are, and you're miserable um, and little and nothing compared to to God, of course, then uh, when you offer yourself to merciful to the merciful love of God, then it is through your miseries, your your weakness. That you know you appeal to God and His heart, and He's like, I I love you so much I can't help. I'm it's irresistible to reach out with my mercy to pick you up to 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 help you out. So this uh, continues with this the groundwork that she had earlier made on the little way of spiritual childhood and rejoicing in her weakness because then she knew that God's mercy. We come down into her weakness and lift her up. So uh, I think this is an important aspect, and and it ties in with this act of oblation.
0: So why this expression of merciful love? Francis just expressed it. The Latin etymology of this word given to us, by the way, by St. Augustine in this case, uh, misericordiae means to give one's heart to the wretched who are the wretched
1: yes. we are we are, we are. We are. we're the deplorable. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i had to throw that in it's contemporary language you know so we can rejoice in being a deplorable for this reason that god's exactly. mercy will stoop down and help us
0: <laughs> before god that's perfectly acceptable sorry <laughs> so if that's true and we must accept that even in humor what disposition then should we be found in desiring to draw this love into our hearts? The disposition is nothing other than trustful humility, confidence in God, trust in God's willingness and His desire to do this, but also in humility. But there's another important aspect about this that I think Therese is uh, really the, the the master of in expressing this. What must we be in order for God to pour this out?
1: (laughs) We've got to be an empty Mm. vessel so that he can expand our hearts, right? So that he can come and fill us, let his love flow in. And of course, you know, two contraries cannot exist in the same space. That's what St. John of the Cross would teach. And of course, if you think of this act of oblation through the eyes of St. John of the Cross, you, you, you will see that Therese is leaning on his teachings heavily. But... So two contraries cannot exist in the same space. So in order for God to come in and... and uh,
0: Fill us with his love.
1: Yeah, we have to get rid of it. anything else. That's why we, we need to be empty. We need to be little. And she constantly talking about being little and recognizing your weakness and rejoicing in the weakness. You know, like St. Paul in that one scripture passage of, of rejoicing in your I weakness. Will,
0: I rejoice <laughs> in my weakness. And that emptying, we should not pass over too quickly. There is a responsibility on the part of us, listeners, to empty ourselves, detachment, and so forth, practice of mortification. But nothing we do will ever be sufficient. John of the Cross expresses this in the passive nights of both sense and spirit, that the Lord must take over and empty the last vestiges of self. And he does it through this holocaust, through this, if I don't mind using the word, I guess, annihilation. The annihilation of the self that is in us. It doesn't mean that we stop to exist. It means we become perfected in exactly what it was God intended us to be, which is filling us with himself. We become the fullest expression of ourself. I grant you this uh, uh, description perhaps warrants more consideration, but suffice to say, we must be emptied of those things that are an impediment to the outpouring of God's love before he will fully um, uh, empty himself into us.
1: So that brings up the question, should we first try to correct our faults and become this little soul, um, or at least try to improve yourself in some way? Now, a lot of people can uh, uh, relate this to when they make a consecration to Mary, or a consecration to Jesus, you know, and the kind of preparation you make. So so here, the question is like, well, if you were going to make this act of oblation, should should you... You know, get yourself perfect first. <laughs> not that you can. Yeah. I mean, you make your effort, but God does the perfection, right? So the answer, the answer is, is the no, no, no. Don't wait. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and why do you not wait, Mark? Do you, you want to explain wait it?
0: Because you can't do the work on your own. Now, again, we should we should I guess preface this with we're talking even the act, even to uh, to uh, read, understand, and and think about um, living by this act of oblation requires some measure of maturity in our spiritual journey. This is not something you'd begin in the first months of, of a conversion or uh, a life of prayer or a desire to Unless be God, God put you
1: there right away, because God can call you quickly. He
0: can call you very quickly. He did with St. Paul, obviously, and there are others, uh, saints uh, in the history of the church who, whose uh, transition was very quick. But more often than not, there is a measure of spiritual maturity necessary here, but Francis's point is well taken. We cannot wait until we've perfected ourselves, until we've gotten rid of all of our faults, and then we say, oh, okay, well, now I can, I can begin. That's a trap. That's a lie that the, the enemy would, would use to keep us from giving ourselves over to this merciful love that will ultimately do the work of purification. Um, well. it, is by, it is by removing some of our defects, yes, those that we can actively remove, but love in cooperation with goodwill on our part will do this work in us. It is love that does this work. It is not simply uh, a a will on our part, the desire on our part uh, to make ourselves holy. We can never do that.
1: Well, Mark, we only have a few minutes left, but I don't want us to leave without um, describing what we mean by victim and holocaust. Yeah, those
0: were two words that came up that I think are very important. By the word victims, uh, Therese meant to denote this complete oblation of herself. In other words, she's not a victim of circumstances or, or an aggression on God's part. She is offering herself as, an, as a victim. That's an important distinction that we have to understand. Therese is making this decision to give of herself. Yes, she's been given the invitation, but she is making uh, the decision to do that. The other word that we should talk about is justice. Um, and I think you said oblation. Right? Yeah. Oblation. We, we addressed uh, briefly when we said an offering, and that's what I'm saying when I'm when I'm referencing her using herself as uh, committing herself as a, a victim. Um, but the word uh, oblation simply means offering and sacrificial. And then Holocaust. I think the other word was Holocaust. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's meant by Holocaust? Unfortunately, in our day and age, it has so many uh, negative connotations because of World War II and the horror of what we characterize as the Holocaust Uh, in the saint's mind, in Therese's mind, uh, this means that the soul plunged into this rapturous fire of God's infinite love. This is what I talked about. Elizabeth of the Trinity, I think, says this so well. She says, at some point we turn and we realize, we come to this realization, we cannot do this work ourselves, and we cast ourselves, she says, into the fire of merciful love to be wholly consumed. That's what the Holocaust is. It is the throwing of ourselves into the fire of merciful love to allow the, work to cons- the, the Lord to consume within us everything that might be an impediment to his love.
1: Okay, well, we're here at the end of our hour, Mark, and we still have much to discuss, so we will continue with this uh, conversation uh, next week. Um, meanwhile, um, I have a closing prayer, and it's one that we mentioned earlier, but it, it's a great synopsis for our conversation today. It's, it's the prayer from Pius the Eleventh, um, where he said we make our own this prayer of Saint Therese. So, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. We beseech you, O Jesus, to let your divine gaze rest upon a vast number of childlike souls, and to choose in this world a legion of little victims worthy of your love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Francis and I want to encourage you to find a copy of St. Teresa's Act of Oblation to Merciful Love and read it and begin to pray it. It will transform your life. There's no question about it, and we can say that because it isn't our work, it isn't Teresa's work, it's the work of the Lord. A reminder, you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.